Hi, and welcome to Five Compelling Questions with Sean. This is the podcast where we speak with writers about their writing. Um, weirdly enough, that's what we discuss on the show. So it's it's a total uh, conversation with writers, and that's the uh, the subplot, the subtitle of the show. Um, today, I am thrilled beyond belief to have with me Fabian Nicieza. How you doing, Fabian? I'm doing really good, Sean. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm just I'm honored to have you here. Um, truthfully, I appreciate the time and the ability to pimp the self-made widow a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'll give you a brief, a brief introduction for those who don't know who you are. Uh, Fabian is best known as a comic book writer for Marvel and DC, um, which is extremely cool. We're big fans in my house. I have an 11 year old, so you know we're all about it. Oh, good. <laughs> and as the co-creator of Deadpool, which you know, come on, he has also written X Men, X Force, New Warriors, Cable, Thunderbolts, and many more. Uh, he developed a story world and created characters for the 2021 animated series Stan Lee's Superhero Kindergarten. Suburban Dick, um, Fabian's debut novel, was published by Penguin Putnam in 2021. And you just mentioned the, that's the second book you mentioned, the title of the second book you mentioned? The title of the second book, which comes out June 21st, is The Self-Made Widow. That's uh, it. It is a continue, continuation of the Suburban Dick's Mysteries. That's right. So this is all right. So this is hilarious. Here's about the book, Suburban Dicks Mysteries. Um, after solving a missing, well, I first got to say the first, the co-creator of Deadpool come a pair of unlikely sleuths solving unlikely murders in a very unlikely setting, the savage suburbs of New Jersey. <laughs> I have a lot of questions about New Jersey. Um, after solving, <laughs> <laughs> I used to live there. Um, after solving a missing person murder in high school and catching a serial killer in Manhattan. Andrea Stern planned to become an FBI profiler, but an unexpected pregnancy changed those plans. Now, several kids later, Andy is determined to answer her calling, find redemption for the dead and justice for the living. Journalist Kenny Lee broke a story for his college paper that toppled the governor of New Jersey, and 10 years later found himself relegated to working for a weekly local paper. But hitching his wagon to his childhood friend gives him the opportunity to answer his calling, become rich and famous. Skewering social commentary and sharp satire propel these suburban dicks through their quirky murder mysteries and the mundane monotony of suburban life. So right there, if you don't want to go run out and get these books immediately, then there's something wrong with you. Those are, it's just, this, it sounds hilarious. It is hilarious. It is. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I, uh, I chose to write what I know and, and what I know very well is, is the banality drudgery and exhaustion uh of suburban life combined with the you know positivity the tranquility the you know the the often beauty of it um and i just tried to to merge the two things um the 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 opportunity and hope of family and comfort and home and safety um and and just the kind of the edge of exhaustion that that all of us seem to live with uh, in, in suburbia, especially in the shadow of a city and, and the region I live in, which is the region I write about um, in, in, the, in the books, it, it is kind of between uh, New York City and Philadelphia. It's kind of equidistant. Um, and, and as a result, you have people that, that work in both cities, commute to both cities, um, and, and, and that creates its own kind of economy and, and, and personality to it. Um, and I find that uh, I find that interesting because it creates a lot of internal and external conflict, which is basically the best source for drama. 
Oh, for sure. And that was my first question. Well, my first question is exclamation part, you know, New Jersey. Um, what inspired you to use New Jersey as your setting? Uh, you know, I, yeah. I've lived in New Jersey since 1968. Uh, and, and I know it very well. I know its people very well. I am part of it. Um, I just thought that it made a um, it made a really interesting setting for for a murder mystery and and I I've been I've been wanting to do these books since 1995 because that's when I originally had the idea for Suburban Dicks um, and I had the idea for its sequel The Self Made Widow just a few years later uh, because both are predicated on events that were happening in my life at that time. Um, Suburban Dicks really was born of a real life situation where the 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 neighborhood I lived in had to try to get an uh, an outdoor gun club that had been there for 50 years and we were new development uh, that we had to try to get them to stop outdoor shooting because they were being kind enough to occasionally lob bullets our way um, and we lost in the town council five four. Uh, to ban outdoor shooting. Uh, we didn't want to ban indoor shooting. We just wanted to ban outdoor shooting. And we lost that fight. And I have a very good friend who's also a writer at that time. And we're talking about, you know, almost 30 years ago. At that time, he said, you know, I know a guy who can burn things down. And I said, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to burn down the gun club. I, I, as a writer, I came up with my only method of revenge, which is I created a fictional story around the concept of something that would tear the gun club down. Um, that was the initial impetus for the story. What if we found out that the old townies did something years ago and that ends up ruining the gun club and they have to close it down? Uh, clearly, the, the Suburban Dicks is a book really evolved a little beyond that premise, uh, although it's still kind of a, a core foundation to the story. Um, and, and consequently, The Self-Made Widow, uh, the sequel, uh, is about a young, a young husband who's only 43, dying of natural causes in his sleep. And, and Andrea Stern suspects he was murdered, even though there's absolutely zero evidence or proof that he was murdered because he had a pre-existing heart condition that most people didn't know about. That's also predicated on a real life thing that happened with a, a very close friend of mine and coworker who passed away at 43 uh, of a heart attack in his sleep and he was in great health and he ran and he was a vegetarian and all of this stuff. Um, but he had a pre-existing heart condition that only a few people knew about. And I was a good friend of his and I didn't even know about it. So as you do with black humor and, and, and tragedy at the time, one of, one of my group of, of friends and coworkers, because we all worked at Marvel Comics, um, he, he said, you know, what if his wife killed him? And then we we're like, oh, you know, but it was just being stupid. And then I thought, well, that's interesting. What if someone dies of natural causes and Andrea suspects it was murder? Because I already had the characters in my head at that point. Um, so that's where the, the impetus for the two books came. Uh, and if I get a chance to do more Suburban Dicks Mysteries, which I hope I get to, but it was a two book contract and I wrote two books. Um, so you need to yell at Putnam and tell them, let's get moving on the third book. Um, it, each one has a bit of a thematic base and foundation. And, and although the stories aren't predicated on anything that necessarily had to have happened in my life, they're all predicated on, 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 on a, real, a real incident that incites or provokes a fictional development.
you know um so so i i do have my story ideas and breakdowns for like book three four and five if i get a chance to do those and each one has a thematic underpinning which is different per book just like the thematic underpinnings in self-made widow are different than suburban dicks yeah well i i, I just have a feeling you're going to get that those other books out which is you know i hope so yeah hope, you know lawyers and contracts and agents <laughs> they always they always tend to get in the way of just sitting and writing yeah yeah <laughs> Welcome to publishing. <laughs> well, yep. not, I'm not welcoming you to publishing. Obviously, you've been in publishing forever, but welcome to, you know, book publishing, I guess, is a little bit different than that. A little, a little known fact that I, I like to tout because it's fun. I actually, my first job out of college in 1983 was working for Berkeley Publishing, which is the sister company of Putnam Publishing. And I worked there for two years before I, I accepted a job at Marvel. Um, so, so having Putnam publish my book, um, my debut novel and my second book is actually kind of nice. I really like the synchronicity uh, of that um, because I enjoyed working there tremendously. It was a really good workplace and really good people working there at the time and now as well. Um, but but an opportunity at Marvel was something I didn't want to uh, turn down at that time, and and it worked out. It worked out fine for me. I oh. still got to get my book published from Putnam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you, yeah, you, you obviously made the right move there. So, um, my second question: there is such a unique humor to your work. Um, I'm speaking about all your, you know your body of work. Um, is the old adage true that writing comedy can be murder? Is it? I mean, you don't write especially comedy, but you know, you write very dark, dark, dark humor. Is that? Is it hard? Do you think it's harder to write comedy than it would be to write um, straight? Um, no, just the opposite. I, <laughs> I, I think that if I don't infuse my work with humor, I'm uh, um, um, a not being reflective of reality because humor is a part of all of our lives at one point or another, to one extent or another. Um, Yes, I, I do like arrogant, cynical, uh, smart characters, maybe because I feel I am an arrogant, cynical, and smart person. Um, but I always try to temper it, which I've done in all my writing, from my comic book writing to, to um, the, the Suburban Dicks mysteries, is I try to temper it with, a, with optimism and hope that, that even, even the most cynical of characters hopes that things will be better tomorrow or things will be better as a result of the actions they take now. Um, and, and that's always been my approach. I, I, I do define myself and have for decades as a cynical optimist. Um, so, so the humor is gonna vary. I like to do bawdy, raunchy humor, stupid humor. Um, I, I like to do cynical and caustic and knowing humor, um, but I, don't, I never once in my entire career considered myself a comedy writer. I didn't even want the book to be categorized as a comedy book. And I, I feel that it was marketed a little too much that way. Suburban Dick certainly was. Um, Self-Made Widow a little less so now because we didn't, we wanted to, we wanted to pull back on that because there's a, I honestly think of the books as tragedies, both of them. Um, and, and, um, and I prefer that people not buy it thinking that they're getting a, a sitcom or that they're getting silliness or, or, or or, or stupidity. Um, I try to infuse my work with a little bit of everything. Um, and, and, and yes, humor is an absolute part of it. Uh, but but I, I think that I think you know pathos is a part of it, and and tragedy is a part of it, and sadness is a part of it, and and hopefully a little bit of horror, depending on how how you approach the the motivations of the characters and 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 the things that they do. So you know that's that's really um, that's really how I try to to. Um, approach my work. I always think of it as a pizza with the works. 
and <laughs> and all of the toppings, you know, sometimes it may be overloaded and it may be too much. And it may make the pizza taste like a, a, a mess. But if it's done right, then all the ingredients are, are shaping the whole. I was thinking as you were speaking, it was it reminded me as a, like a well-defined stew, a well-composed stew. You know, you have, you know, because there's subtle flavors down there underneath, and that's a very good description. But pizza, much better than my pizza with the works. <laughs> I like your stew analogy much better. Um, pizza, and, and look, not not every stew is going to come out well. Sometimes, you know, you, you have the best of intentions, but you, you put way too much pepper in there, you know? So you, you just, you, you, hopefully the next stew you make is going to be good. Yeah. Um, and, and because I've been writing for so long, because I'm not new to this you know, this whole gig. Um, I, I take each assignment with a certain grain of salt because I've been fortunate enough in my career that there's there's always the next assignment. Uh, we were joking before we, we started recording that, you know, <laughs> if I suck today, maybe I won't suck tomorrow. It's okay, you know? Um, and and I, I approach the work that way. Um, I think there are aspects of, of Self-Made Widow that um, may not be as good as Suburban Dicks, but I also think there are aspects of Self-Made Widow that are better than Suburban Dicks. So it, it, it's a balancing act and, 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 and everybody's going to have a shade of gray when they're interpreting the work. Um, as a writer, I, I just feel my job is, is A, to entertain and, and B, to make the deadline. <laughs> so so if, I, if I entertain you, great. If it's it's going to be to varying degrees on a per person basis. If I make my deadline, great, because my editor and, and my publisher, whoever is doing the work, is going to be happy. You know? Absolutely. Well, you got it all. You got it all going, and you're making a, you're making great stews. And you know they got to eat again tomorrow, so they're going to have to pick up another stew or pizza. Pizza is more exactly. Pizza is definitely more New Jersey than stew, but stew. Uh, it probably amazing. yes. It actually it actually <laughs> certainly is more. Yeah, definitely. Sticking <laughs> to the Jersey theme, we're we're going to do pizza. Um. So speaking about writing, we talk we talk a lot about writing on the show. What was it like transitioning to writing a novel as opposed to your other work, uh, writing and developing comics and um, characters? Well, you know, I, um, I, I tried, I have tried to write prose on and off for years. I've tried to write suburban dicks on and off for years. I, I was never satisfied with the work I did. So it was easy to set aside because I had uh, paying work in front of me. You know, I had, to, I had to get this done. So it, it was very easy to justify running away from that. Um, I just, I, I hit a point and, and I distinctly remember in 2017 where I saw several peers of mine from the comic book industry writing and selling prose novels. And, and the best fuel for me has always been anger and jealousy and insecurity and childishness. So I said, wait a minute, I'm, I'm a better writer than all of them, damn it. Um, I said, I, I did say, if I don't do this now, when am I going to do it? I, I don't want to be I don't want to be 70 and regret not having having had had the, really the courage to finish writing a book. Uh, I could I could use the excuse that that I got to pay my bills, so paying work has to take precedent. I could do that for years, but I could no longer do that once I was lucky enough that the mortgage was paid and the kids' college tuition was going to be covered because they were eventually both going to finish college. Um, and and that was 2017 because at the time my 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 youngest son was like a junior in college, and I said, all right, I got to get started on this. I got to try to do it. And lo and behold, the the amount of time I had taken off from writing prose. Um, was a benefit because I, I, I felt I was no longer trying to write in someone else's voice. Um, I, I've joked in, in other interviews that 
uh, there's probably nothing worse on the planet Earth than someone trying to write in a James Elroy impersonation <laughs> because James Elroy is absurdly a unique voice in his writing. So some of my earlier work years ago tried tried to be James Elroy. I was like, holy crap, what an idiot you were trying to write like James Elroy. I, I just wrote myself. I just wrote how I wanted it to sound. Um, and, and I didn't hate it. So I was like, okay, let's keep going. It, it, I had a couple people read chapters of it and they all were encouraging. So I just kept going and eventually um, I, I finished it. And, and, and then came the real work, quite honestly, um, it, which is the amount of cutting and rewriting that you have to do for to service a book, which is so vastly different than most comic book scripts you have to write, um, that, that took time too. So. Uh, I finished the first manuscript, I think like January of 2019, and I had a freelance editor read it and give me feedback on it. And she gave me pointers on what to cut and how much I had to cut because I did have to cut a lot. Um, I was repeating a lot of things um, that I didn't need to. I, I needed to take smarter shortcuts in, in like, let's say two characters, a character learns something on page 90 then she's talking to a different character who doesn't know what she knows on page 150. You don't have to repeat everything you wrote on page 90 just because the other character doesn't know it. That becomes incredibly um, tiresome and repetitive. And I was doing way too much of that because I was just writing with the flow and, and uniquely the second book writing experience was completely different than the first book because the first book, it was not my main thing. I was doing it for fun and, and on a casual approach. So there was sometimes a, an entire week went by where I didn't even write anything in the book. And then other times where I took a, a day or a day and a half and I just worked on the book. Um, other times I would just take a couple hours and work on the book a little bit because it was more fun than my paying work was. Um, and, and that's one reason why it took so long, but it's a completely different writing experience than when you have a timeline and a, and, a, and a relative due date and a window in your schedule where this is when you have to do it. And that was the self-made widow. I started it in March of 2020, which was when the pandemic closed us all down. And um, I wrote most of it exactly where I'm sitting right now in a corner of my bedroom because I had four other people in the house. Um, we were all shut down. My, my son came home from college. My daughter stopped having to work at the time. My wife stopped having to go to work at a school. And my sister-in-law was living with us at the time. So five of us in a house. Um, and and I, I, you had, I had to find corners to hide in in order to write. And, but I was really only writing The Self-Made Widow. So the first manuscript was done by November of 2020. I, I wrote the whole first, man, the first draft of the manuscript in about six months. Um, and and I, I liked that too. That was a really fun kind of focused, concerted effort. Um, and I, I, because I, the first book's experience in writing prose got me to a point where I was far more comfortable in the expectations of the format far more comfortable with the pace of my chapters, um, repeated a lot less. I, I, I hit my page count and, and my word count really close. Um, I purposefully knew what, it, what was in the manuscript that my editor would want to cut in order to reduce my page count. If you hand the manuscript in over 400 pages for this kind of platform, um, they're automatically going to tell you to cut. They want you to get to 380, 390 in terms of your page count. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and I knew that 
I wanted to write these flashback sequences in The Self-Made Widow, hearkening back to Kenny and Andrea's childhood and teenage years, um, because it said something about them as people today and the, the families they grew up in and what those marriages were like is really the underlying subtext of the theme of the entire second book is, is suburban marriages. Um, and and, um, and I, I, the flashbacks were longer than I knew the, my editor, Mark Tavani was gonna want them to be. So in essence, I gave him exactly what he was going to want to cut in order to get me to my page count. <laughs> and, and it worked almost to a charm, like like trimming the flashback sequences from five pages in, in to, to one and a half made made the difference in my word count because both Andrea and Kenny were getting flashbacks, you know, like three flashbacks through the course of the book each. Yeah. So that's six flashbacks total. Um, which totaled maybe uh, roughly 20, 20 to 30 pages total. And I knew that there's 10 to four, 10 to 16 pages I could end up, you know, trimming. Um, yeah. And it worked out well. It was so, so that's a little uh, devious on my part because <laughs> as I'm writing, I'm planning what, what, what I can cut without hurting the book yeah. or without me feeling you know, writer verklempt, you know, <laughs> like, we, we tend to get ridiculously immature and possessive about our work sometimes. And, um, and I've never been like that as a writer, but I can certainly understand as a prose writer, how you can be more that way. You know, um, you, you, you spend a lot of time with these, with these pages, you spend a lot of time with these words, you have to rewrite dozens of times and trim and tr trim trim sentences i i i just reread suburban dicks uh, i'm i'm sorry reread self-made widow just a, a week ago in in the hardcover because i want i like the experience of reading the work after i've given it a few months breathing space in my head i read the hardcover and I swear to God, I just want to get back to that manuscript and trim and cut and tweak <laughs> constantly. There is a certain point where you let it go, but then if you give it a little breathing space, you want to go back and, and, and finagle with it again. That's so different than, than my experience writing comic books, which are monthly publishing cycles and you grind them out in a lot of ways. You got you got you can't even think about the one that just came out because you're already four issues ahead thinking about that, you know, and, and they're killer deadlines because it's monthly turnarounds. Yeah. Um, so so I really love the luxury of, of prose writing, but by the same token, I understood how easy it is to get lost in the weeds and how easy it is to get mired in the minutia of your words and your language. And and some writers are very insecure about themselves where they can't they can't let go of certain things uh when an editor is asking them to or the, the dictates of an audience or or the expectations of an audience the the demands of a publisher all of those things are part and parcel of the the thing what we have to think about when we're working absolutely yeah for sure well it all comes together it's all it's it all comes together um next question it, did Andrea and Kenny come to you fully formed, or were they? Did, are they inspired by anything in your life, or did, um, how did you create these? The answer, <laughs> the answer is yes and no. Um, the answer is yes. They came fully formed um, in terms of the the individual character, the, the real foundations of both of the individual characters. Um, she she is she is pregnant, and and is not who she should have been because 
she's she's become pregnant multiple times she's had you know the, she originally i think it was going to be her third kid but then i upped it to five because i thought that was just so ridiculous in terms of pressure um and, and i wanted to put that burden on her um kenny was who he was intended to be personality wise and and in backstory wise from the very beginning um certainly over the course of time and 20 years i I finagled and tweaked and evolved them both. Uh, her name changed from what it originally was. Um, he, he was not originally Chinese American. He was originally Caucasian, but I, we changed them to Chinese American because we thought that would make a much more interesting um, a, um, a character approach because of the themes of the first book. Um, it didn't change his personality, nor should it have, um, but, it, but it changed his interactions with other people um, as a result of, of, of his ethnicity. Um, so, so that all evolved, different things evolved in, at different points in my mind. Some of it was me changing or evolving things. Others was feedback from my agents when they first read the original manuscript, and then my editor at Putnam after they purchased the manuscript. Um, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm very collaborative by nature uh, because I, I come from a publishing background that is collaborative by nature. You know, uh, you're not when you're writing a comic book, um, you damn well better not think you're the sole source of that product because there's you know someone drawing the damn thing and there's there's people inking it and lettering it and coloring it. Um, so I, I have a very comfortable collaborative team mentality um i am I'm, I'm okay jettisoning my preconceived notion um if, if there's a better idea on the table um and, and that was certainly the case with 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 the development of of um the the first two books um and 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 hopefully moving forward the same thing uh, you know my, i mean my editor at putnam his name is mark tavani he's really really a smart editor and he's been doing it a long time and and he he just understands the balance um between what what his responsibilities are and and what mine are um having been an editor myself in comics i i respect and understand his job so i doubt it's ever going to become a childish screaming match kind of a thing like you know um I, i'm i'm 60 years old now i'm not 40 so it's a very different mentality in how i approach a lot of this stuff um, yeah you've matured <laughs> well <laughs> you know <laughs> chronologically at least yes <laughs> i'm giving you some credit um <laughs> thank you far more than my wife gives me guaranteed <laughs> but she she knows that i don't deserve the credit <laughs> Gotcha. Oh, next question. If you could tell your younger writing self anything, what would it be? And I ask this because you have, some would say a very enviable career. Um, you've seemed to have made a lot of the right moves. What advice would you give your younger writing self to inspire our listeners? Really simply and basically do more of your own stuff. Uh, do less of, uh, of content and characters that are owned by others. Uh, corporations, what have you. Um, I, I think that although my career was made writing um, work for hire, corporate owned IP, uh, I'm better. I would have been better served doing more of my own stuff or, originally. Yeah, I, that's a good. That's good advice. That's good advice. But do, you know, you did. It seems like it was a really great opportunity for you back because um, you were very. You were pretty young when you started up with uh, Marvel. 
Yeah, I, I was I was starting. I, I made my first writing sale before I even turned 26. Um, and and I, I had the number one comic in, in the in the industry selling wise, um, certainly not quality wise, uh, selling wise. Comic book um, by the time I was 31. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was certainly young, uh, a, a younger probably than would have been would have been good for me from a creative professional writing standpoint. But you know, you, I also <laughs> I also was doing what I wanted to do since I was a kid and making more money doing it than I ever thought I would make in my life at that time because our sales were so ridiculous that back then. Uh, and there was a point in time where for over a year I was selling like 1.2 million comics a month. Um, and it, the industry is not that anymore. I gave a bunch of us surfboards and they said, do you want to go ride that wave or not? And you're like, yeah, I want to go ride that wave. Let's go. You know, So you, yeah. you take the surfboard out and you try to ride that wave, you know? Um, oh, so, yeah. so I, I, but in, but you're asking in hindsight and in hindsight, I certainly would have done more of my own original stuff and my own and my own my own creator own material yeah well that's good advice just stick true, stay true to your heart stay true to your heart yep those are the five official questions you did great you're very thank good thank you <laughs> um what i, I like to i could have i'm sure i could have answered every one of them in one sentence instead of seven thousand but okay <laughs> no but i you bring a lot of um Sage advice, and I, I do appreciate it because you know you've seen a lot of different aspects of the of the industry because you've worked for a publisher. Now you're a published author. You're you've multi 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 published and other other ways in publishing. So it's really cool to listen to you know someone that's been around for not forever. You're not that old, but you know what I mean. <laughs> it, I, I'm I'm old enough that we can qualify it as forever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have, I do a rapid fire quiz at the end. You can okay. answer any way you like. It's you you know you get to get them all wrong. It's fine. Um, number one, <laughs> summer or winter? Winter, fall. Sorry, oh, okay. fall. You can do fall. Uh, fall is my favorite season. Yes. I like fall too. It's nice. I, I struggle with humidity, and and I I just don't need snow anymore and cold. <laughs> <laughs> You're so New Jersey. It, it cracks me up. Um, but who needs it? Sweeter. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when you got a when you got a shovel ten inches of snow, who needs it? You know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Sweet or savory? Uh, you know what? Probably savory. Yeah. Cool. I'm not much of a binary guy. I'm not much of a of of a black or white kind of guy. But probably, if I had a lean one way or the other, probably savory. Yeah. Some people struggle with this quiz more than others. It's just I can't choose. Oh, well, this will be interesting. Comedy or drama? Ooh, that's an interesting one. Dramedy. Uh, no, probably, pro I probably prefer drama as a viewer. Um, as a reader, I probably prefer drama over comedy. Okay, fair enough. Um, early bird or night owl? Oh, geez, I used to be a night owl, but, but age and life made me an early bird. So I'm going to have to say early bird. Yeah, that's how it happens. It starts, it's, it goes yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to, I mean, I used to operate on two, three hours sleep for years back in the early 90s because I was working so much and I was commuting into Manhattan from New Jersey. So I'd go to sleep by two, three in the morning and I'd be up by six in the morning to catch a train into the city. Yeah. And I did that for a long time. 
which wasn't which wasn't good or healthy for me. Um, but but I I did enjoy going out after work in the city, so that was the night owl aspect of it. Um, but but once you have kids and once you get older and once the the structure starts with the school and everything else, you you for the most part you become an early bird, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You can't show up hungover dropping the kid off at school. It's just not cool anymore. I mean, when you can, it's just <laughs> other, other parents may talk. <laughs> right. Oh, they're that kind of family. Okay. Yeah, um, he's so reeking of alcohol at 730 in the morning. Yeah. yeah <laughs> oh, you know it's not this morning's alcohol. Trust me. It's last night's alcohol. <laughs> I'm still metabolizing it from the night before. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't drink in the morning when I'm bringing my kid to school. I stopped <laughs> drinking it too. Come on. Yeah, I don't have a problem. <laughs> For sure not. Um, last one, coffee or tea? Coffee, please. Coffee. <laughs> it's not, it's coffee. Coffee. It's coffee. Who would, tea. Who would ever say tea? It's coffee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I, one of my proudest accomplishments in life is reducing my intake to three cups a day okay so i'm a two in the morning and then one in the afternoon and that's the, no more than that and and if it's less than that i start to get a headache so <laughs> you know but but remember i just mentioned getting two three hours sleep a night and going into the city to work at marvel and and still having the right freelance well that was usually six seven cups of coffee a day yeah. all of us were fueling ourselves on coffee back then um, yeah. and, and, and I purposefully had to wean myself out of it because I don't think it, I don't think that much is good for you. Um, but but I certainly think two to three cups is the height of health. Yes. So, yes, <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yes. Being sometimes being a office worker in the city is not healthy because there's always crap around the office too to eat and all that stuff. And so yeah. Like yeah. And, and, you know, ultimately, the whole the commuting grind is, is really important. And a lot of people who don't work in cities and live in suburbs don't quite get that commuting grind Dri driving half an hour to work is not the same thing as having to drive 15 minutes at a train station spending an hour plus on a train has spending another 20 minutes walking or taking the subway to your office you know and then your day begins um yeah. you just looked at an additional two hours each way to your day you know yeah. Yeah. Um, it just it just really changes the dynamic. Um, in order to get into the office by 8.30, I would usually be on a train between 6 and 6.15 in the morning. And that yeah. means you're getting up at what, 5 o'clock, 5.30? You know, it, 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 I, I haven't lived that life in a long time. I, I still went into the city a couple times a week before the pandemic to do freelance work out of an office in the city because I enjoyed that. I really enjoy the office dynamic and the interaction. Um, yeah. But since the pandemic, I've been stuck in the house and I, I i've only been into manhattan a couple times and if you read the self-made widow you'll see manhattan is just as much a part of my blood as 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 suburbia is and, and i purposefully set a good chunk of the book in manhattan with, with kenny's part of the investigation because the city is is an integral part of me um and, and i and i really enjoy it a lot so i wanted that to be reflected in the material Absolutely. Well, it comes across and you're, you're definitely a hybrid New Jersey, New Yorker, just like I used to be, but I was a little closer. Oh, okay. I, was, I was in Bergen, so I could just pop over. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is close. Yeah. My, my <laughs> wife used to work for the state government. The, the, I was in middle, I was in central Jersey. I was in Sarahville and Albridge yeah. area. Um, my wife worked for the state government and she wanted to ask if she, if we could move closer to, to her office because she had just spent two years with a horrific grind of working and commuting to Camden 
working in Trenton, commuting to Camden for graduate studies, then coming all the way back to East Brunswick. And I said, I don't care where we live as long as um, I have access to the city. And yeah. she said, well, there's there's a train station right right in the area. And I said, fine. So we moved to a townhouse in, in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. And the irony is it took me longer to get to the train station to, than it took her to get to the office. <laughs> <laughs> she was at the office in less than 10 minutes. It took me 10 minutes just to get to the train station. And my commute hadn't even really begun yet. <laughs> so, so that so we've been in this area ever since. I live in the West Windsor Plainsboro area where where I write about, um, and and we've been, we've been in this area since 1988. So um, uh, you know, I, I, I it, it most certainly is a part of my blood. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's all the way. It's been so great having you here on the show. Thank you so much for coming and Thank sharing you, your your crazy fun stories with me. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Uh, I, I hope you and, re and and all your listeners enjoy The Self-Made Widow. If, yeah. you, if you haven't read Suburban Dicks yet, you can still read The Self-Made Widow. We tried really hard to make them uh, individually separate. Uh, but if you, if you read Suburban Dicks, it would certainly uh, enhance reading uh, The Self-Made Widow. Uh, I agree. So my, my hope is that everyone out there reads both. Yes. And then clamor for more. That's what we need. And, and yes, clamor for more. Don't <laughs> yell at me though. Don't don't at me on Twitter. At GP Putnam's on Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Yell at them because it's them and my agent that got to get that ball rolling. All I can do is type. Okay. okay. We'll start. We'll start a grassroots campaign to get it going. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Vicious, right. slanderous yelling on the internet always helps. Yes, it's it's quite it's quite effective. Yes, please yell yell at my editor. I can't believe I'm saying that because someone's gonna do it. Don't yell at my editor. He's really a nice guy. We're all everyone's just joking. Wink, wink. Very, very yeah. good. Well, have a great rest of the day. Um, it was such you a too, joy, Sean. joy. Yeah, it was really joy to have you here. Appreciate it. it. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Have a good day. You too. Bye.